As we turn our attention toward the scriptures this morning, this first one is out of Romans 12. See if you can identify there are 12 things that we are called to be with each other. See if you can find those, as Jim reads. Actually, I'm going to read a little bit more slowly because these are all commands and don't want to just blow through it. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. As we move to the gospel reading, this is a very familiar story. It is the story of Jesus just after his resurrection appearing on the road to Emmaus with two of his disciples. Here, if you can, pick out what this might have to do with us as a local church and what our role may be as we hear the good news. If, as you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other, about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, 
and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. seated. I love that scripture because it just talks so readily about what our role is not only with each other, but what it is to anyone outside of this place. I mean, look again at the time of day when this took place. I I love the fact that they were begging him to stay with him only to then have him break the bread and disappear. But he didn't really disappear, did he? He was there in their hearts and they couldn't help themselves as they talked among themselves and took off immediately to go share that good news with the rest of the church. It is part of what we do. I love Paul's words on this, and I want to just walk through these as we, as we look at what this next essential is for us. He is looking for love that turns into action. He is looking for an op- oppositional attitude toward evil, an action-oriented attitude that moves us out and stands against evil. Paul is looking for devotion, not just to God, but a sincere devotion to one another. He's looking that we would honor one another, even above ourselves. He calls for passion and zeal and so many other things. But my favorite part of that scripture, and this is the foundation for where we're going today. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud or haughty, but be willing to spend time with anyone in the church. Don't be conceited, somehow believing that yours is the only way. Don't repay evil for evil, but do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then he closes with this. Be at peace with everyone. Be at peace 
with everyone. Well, I got to share with you that, as many of you know, I had a birthday a number of weeks ago. And on that birthday, I woke up to an incredibly long list on my Facebook account, which comes to, you know, my normal kind of church email. Are you ready? 167 birthday greetings. Wow! It took me forever to erase all those, but... <laughs> but I was so... Don't be proud and haughty, right? So I was so excited that so many people took time out of their busy schedules to stop for a minute and wish me a happy birthday. Then I found out. All you have to do on Facebook, because the reminder comes through automatically, is just push reply. However, in the midst of that, there are about 12 out of 167 who wrote a personal note to me really wishing me a happy birthday with something, you know, that, that they wanted to share. And that, and that was great, but it was funny how, how quickly the, that feeling of importance, you know, just kind of disappeared. <laughs> and humble became more appropriate again. So I kept thinking about Facebook. And we all know Facebook and, 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 and what we do, the fact that we so often text each other now or we send a message on Facebook or if we really want to look in somebody's eyes, we Skype, right? I mean, that's what I keep hearing is that's the reality of today. It was an interesting week about all that. I was listening to Ron and Don on Cairo and Ron and Don were talking about Facebook, noting that it was going to come you know, to the, to, the, um, to the stock market this week. And so they, they were kind of concentrating the other day on, on Facebook. And it was interesting to hear two young women talking about Facebook. One was uh, just coming out of college, and she shared that her whole relational kind of community was based on computers. I mean, that everything she did, her whole social network, everything she did was around Facebook because she didn't have any other time to really take the time to go and sit and chat with anybody. And if she really needed to look in somebody's eyes, then, of course, she would go on Skype. And, and any of you who have been on Skype know that there are times where it kind of seizes up and you hear their voice talking. It, it reminded me of the old kind of movies it came out in the 50s where, you know, the Italian movies where the, the mouth would move, but it wouldn't match. You remember those movies? That's kind of what it's like. And then suddenly it catches up, and, and then it, you get, well, it doesn't matter. But, but is it really the way to communicate? The other thing that they talked to this other woman about is, is the, the fact that the way that Facebook makes money is by the ads that go up there. But what happens is if you happen to push on, let's say, okay, you're out and you're shopping for a dress. And you happen to go on Facebook and you, you click on one of those ads for a place where you can buy a dress. Suddenly, Facebook gets that piece of information into your personality scope and every ad that comes up on your personal Facebook is now about buying dresses. That doesn't work for me very well. I, no, not, never mind. But, 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 but what I keep hearing, again, what I keep, Marvin, be quiet. What I keep hearing, <laughs> what I keep hearing, though, is that's just the reality 
of today. Then last Wednesday, I went to the large Board of Ordained Ministry meeting. And it was interesting. It was at Riverton Park United Methodist Church. And Riverton Park sits right next to a large cemetery. I happened to pick somebody up at the airport and so got to the meeting about two hours early. And knowing where I was going to head kind of in this sermon, began to walk that cemetery and look at some of the headstones and kept wondering what, what had happened to this person. Who, who had been there at their hour of need? I wonder what their family was like or, or where they found community. I wondered how different it would have been had the only way that people were able or willing to say goodbye to them was on Facebook or on Skype or texted their message. But what do I keep hearing? That's just the reality of where we are today. I pray that that is not so. I pray that's not the only thing we have left. This morning I want to explore quickly essential number nine. And again, we're looking at these essentials. This is a sermon series on the ten essentials of what creates a vibrant and healthy church. Essential number nine reads this way. A vibrant and healthy church will have significant opportunities for building and deepening relationships within the local church of building community with each other. These can be small Bible study groups, small groups, all church potlucks, retreats, mission projects, and so much more. It continues, if done properly, even task forces, and yes, even committees can serve as a small group. It is essential, particularly in churches where there are multiple worship services, to have opportunities for the whole church to get to know one another. More importantly, providing places where people can go deeper in relationships will allow them to fulfill their call outside the church more effectively. Concludes this way, we all need support. We all need encouragement. We all need people to whom we can turn and talk faith. We all need a boost. All of us. So I keep wondering, how are we doing on this? How are we doing? On this, I went back and looked at some of the sociological research around what's happened to community today. And, and as you know, one of my favorites is author Robert Putnam, and he wrote a book called Bowling Alone and talked sociologically about what has shifted in, in our community, our understanding of community. He goes back and to the uh, mid-19th century as he begins to look at the shifts that have taken place. The fact that Most were in an agrarian kind of society where uh, everybody was on farms or ranches, or at least most people were. Everybody in those families had specific roles. Even the youngest child had the specific roles that, that would help them become a part of the success, if you will, of that family. He then talked about even the church community in that time and how different it was back then, where people would literally come for miles around to come to church. The youth were all sitting over there, I don't know, 12 or 15 of them over there, and I was able to go over there and say to them, church went all day. (laughs) The heads bowed. 
they didn't really, they kind of applauded because they just loved spending time together. But church went all day, and it wasn't so much around worship as much as it was around being together, of sharing with each other the needs, of, of understanding the whole concept of neighbor as that person to whom you can turn for whatever your needs may be. They would pray together. They would eat together. They would spend time together and even have fun together. And that was community. Community. Then came the First World War, and things began to shift. Then came the Second World War, and everything was turned on its ear. Roles began to change. People moved off of the farms into cities. That's where you could make a living. And all of those roles and responsibilities, all of that feeling of community began to, to some extent, crumble around the edges. Neighborhoods became confined areas where the houses were. But something shifted then. And yet, what, Pump, what Putnam asserts is that the changes may have been changes that were done externally. But that same need for community, that same need for role, that same need for sharing continues to exist in every one of us, even today. And I believe it's still changing, it's still shifting. But even we can go back further than that. As we look at Jesus, what was Jesus' need for community? All we have to do is look at who he spent time with. First, he had that small group of 12, his closest friends and associates. But even within that group of 12, there were three that were even closer. It was those three that went to the garden with him that evening, shared that time. It was those three that felt like it was up to them to kind of hold him accountable for things, even Jesus. So in three, and then 12, and then moved even out beyond that to the 120, we see that number over and over in the Gospels. 120 is exactly the amount of men required to be able to form a synagogue, a church. The need was there, and then even expanded out from there to the greater community. Three, 12, 120, and then thousands who kept coming to him for what they needed. So I kept again thinking about each one of us and our church, and that brings us back here to Aldersgate. I'll tell you, one of the most consistent things that I was told by your two previous pastors David and Rhodey, were that you're not a small group church. I mean, over and over and over again, both said, this is not a church that engages in small groups. And then I stopped and began to look a little deeper at you. And I don't think that's true. What I keep hearing, I mean, for, for instance, I, I went to the harvest dinner and here you were in this large church that this, this large community eating together, sharing together, having fun together that not only filled Friendship Hall but out into the narthex, filmed there. There's a desire in you to be together. That's obvious. Then I kept hearing about the fact that you were concerned that we have two distinctive services attended by two somewhat different populations and the concern is that what we're developing is two churches. And yet... If you look at this essential again, what that means is that we need to do a better job 
of doing things that help us to have fun together, to help us get to know each other. At the Vision Task Force, Janet brought up an idea that she had heard about in another church. I love this idea. We'd seen it when we were serving the church in Shelton. Catch this. I love this idea. And by the way, Lavona, Daryl loves this idea. Um, Is on one day a year, we set up 12 tables in Friendship Hall, all with a standard on them that has a month of the year. And everybody, oh, and by the way, also on all 12 tables are big birthday cakes. (laughs) Big birthday cakes and party decorations for everybody sitting at that table. And so if your birthday is in May, all the May birthdays sit together, put on your party hats and have a heck of a time celebrating May birthdays or December or others, and what we do is we get together, and suddenly you're having relationships with all of those people with whom you share that birthday month, no matter their age or experience or anything. I will tell you, our son Ben still talks about the birthday celebration that happened in, in Sunnyside. I didn't mean Shelton, yeah, in Sunnyside. As does a friend of mine who just moved to Texas, because he shared birthday table with Ben. It's amazing what happens in those relationships. I've heard about the tables of eight and that they're just not working very well and people are not feeling as though they're invited if they don't fit into a certain criteria. So I'll tell you what, let's shift it and change it and make it seven up groups. It has nothing to do with soda. It has to do with the number. The number seven rather than the number eight. Because the number eight seems to communicate that it needs to be couples. When the number seven communicates clearly that it's not about couples. It's about everyone. Whether you're single or your spouse doesn't want to attend. It's not about, it's not, it's not about church. It's about getting together in a small group and breaking bread together and celebrating and just getting to know each other. So maybe we do that. Here's another idea. That everyone, every single one of our committees, of our task forces, of our ministry action teams sees themselves not just about doing the business of the church. Sees themselves as a small group. Sharing with each other, coming together, checking in. And I don't mean, how are you fine? I mean, checking in with each other to see how we are to then take some time in Scripture and prayer. And I can hear some of you already saying, oh my gosh, it's going to go three hours. (laughs) It doesn't need to go three hours. It needs to be about those gathered at the table. Then it needs to be about the business of the church. You hear that order? It's about relationships together. I keep wondering what would happen if we did that if we saw every opportunity of coming together as an opportunity to get to know each other better, of deepening those relationships, of praying for each other and finding out and committing what we can be praying for throughout the week, of then doing the business of the church. And let's simplify the business in such a way that it doesn't take an hour to do the business. And then closing again with a word of Scripture. 
and prayer. With the commitment, every one of us, with the commitment that as you leave that meeting or that committee or that task force or that ministry action team, that we are committing to each other that we will be praying for each other throughout the week or the month or whenever the next time we meet may be. I wonder, I wonder, if we do that, I wonder if things might shift and change. I wonder if the relationships might grow deeper. I wonder if suddenly we might realize what it is that we're being called to be with each other as people at Aldersgate United Methodist Church. Let me close with this. You need to hear me say, I want to be intentional and want us to be intentional and am calling us to be intentional around creating a relational model that accurately reflects Jesus. Where two, even if they're downcast, three coming together or 12 or 120 can gather and know each other well. I think we need to be more intentional around those words you, you heard Jim read. Do you notice how he sectioned it out? And that's what we need to do. That let's commit ourselves to looking back at that Roman scripture again and see how we might get better about our own faith in the midst of that to frame our relationships here within this body of Christ. And that every single person who walks through that door, whether you're here for the first time, or you've been here for 50 years, feels as though they are connected somehow to someone or some group in the church, or at least, at the very least, have the opportunity to move into that kind of deepening relationship. Skype, Facebook, texting, they all have their place. They do. They do, and it is the reality of where we are. However, we need, as the church, to go deeper than that. To look in each other's eyes and to see how we are every day together so that we know what the needs may be. Will you pray with me? God of all creation, we do thank you for the opportunities that, that you've shown us of how we are to be together. And the words that we read every week in our scriptures of the examples that you have given us through Jesus. I ask that we continue to deepen that here at Aldersgate, creating more opportunities to have fun creating more opportunities to get to know each other, service to service, and creating more opportunities to go deeper with each other. Guide us in these times. All this we ask in the name of the one we seek to follow, Jesus Christ. Amen.